<laughs> Good to see you. Uh, we're uh, in, the, in the context of a, a series, and it's called The Big, Ugly, Hairy Roots of Unhappiness. Um, how many of you remember the little plants from last week? We talked about, remember the, the ivy? By the way, does anybody want one? I have two left, and they've survived just fine. So if you want this thing, you just need to understand if you take these things, this is what it grows, okay? And I had talked about having to get the thing off the side of our house. It took me a whole day, and I did it three times, and finally realized, ah, it's the last time. I have to kill it off. But what happens is, you see, in our lives, we, in, we invite this little this stuff into our lives, and it's in the form of a little tiny plant. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you a mistaker or a sinner? And so this is what happens. We invite this little thing into our lives, and it's like, oh, isn't it cute? I'm going to, you know, come sleep with me, you know, and I'll feed you from my table and, and play with you and, and so on. And, but the thing grows, kind of like kids. Big, ugly, hairy roots. And they will take over your life. And here's the thing, you see, when it's like this, pretty easy to rip out. You can rip one of these things out, not a problem at all. When it gets like this, and it's like ripping the screens off your windows, and it's tearing the soffit off your roof. Well, that's a different thing, and it can get out of control. So we talked about that last week a little bit, and uh, so we're going to be talking today about kind of authority and kind of the, the place that it has in our lives, and kind of in this next installment. And here's the title, as you probably have seen, If I Think It's Okay, Well, It Must Be Okay, right? Um. How many, how many of you have ever uh, had a thought run through your mind that says, you know, like when you're growing up especially, like, who says? Anybody ever says who? So it kind of goes like this. Let me just explain it with a story. So I'm four years old. We were out visiting this farm called the, the Somerville family. They were good friends of ours. So um, the, the adults are talking in the kitchen, really boring. So I said, I'm going to go out and explore the farm. Uh, so my dad said, okay, don't play in the pond. Don't go down to the pond. Now, Makes sense to me now because I'm like four years old and I don't know how to swim. Back then, and I can't tell you exactly how my thought process went, but it was something like dumb rule. Nature calls, the frogs are hopping, you know, the tadpoles are swimming, you know, and I need to get down and explore. So, anyways, I get down to the pond, totally defied my dad on this, but he didn't know because he's in the house. And I'm leaning clear over in this bank, like I got my, I'm sprawled out uh, on, the, on the bank and I'm reaching, trying to grab these tadpoles under the bank. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the shift or, you know, the balance shifted and I flipped right into the pond. Now, fortunately, it was shallow and I was able to get out, but it betrayed the fact that I totally defied my dad and what he told me to, what he told me to do. And so this is kind of the rule. This is kind of what we do in life. Okay. If I think a rule is dumb, well, I'm just going to ignore it. No matter who lays it out there. You're driving along the highway driving along the, you know, one of the back roads here in Markham, and the speed limit says 40 miles an hour. And you say to yourself, well, that's a dumb rule. Like, that must be for old people, you know? So I think it ought to be at least 65. And so you look around, see if anybody's watching, and so you go 65, right? Or, you know, it's tax season and stuff, and you're filling out your tax forms and, and so on, and you think, well, they don't say that this is a deduction, but it ought to be a deduction, you know? I mean, God would agree with this. He thinks it should be, you know, so he and I agree on this. And so I'm just actually going to do it, you know. And the, again, the philosophy is if I disagree with something, 
if I disagree with a rule, if I disagree with a guideline, well, then I'm just going to ignore it. Dumb rule, okay? Now, what you have to ask yourself is, though, how does that work out, really? Save a 15-year-old kid, you know? And he gets into a car with a bunch of buddies and a bunch of six-packs, and they said, you know, like, well, underage drinking, well, that's a dumb rule, you know? And don't drink and drive, that's another dumb rule, you know? I mean, that may work for, you know, normal kids and for, you know, the average kids, but we're not the average kids. So it can lead to stuff that you don't want. A cute little plant, you know, that we bring into our hearts basically says, I am the final authority on everything. I will decide what I'm going to do, and nobody's going to tell me to do anything differently. Now, most people do this without even a twinge of conscience, you know? Like, I evaluated it, and I decided that's a stupid rule, and I'm sure that God would second the emotion. Don't you agree, God? Yes, you agree. Okay, so it's all good. And you keep going forward without really even thinking about what it's about and actually what's going on here. Now, here's the deal, okay? We're smart people, right? We like to think that we live our lives based on our minds, that our minds, you know, like you ever heard somebody say, and it really makes you want to throw up, you know, something like, well, I've got an IQ higher than most people's IQ, you know. So, like, how does that actually translate into, into living? Because the way it works, okay, okay, these are the two messages that Jesus had. We talk about these next week. We do stuff because we think it's going to make us happy. Rebellion is not about what? It's about who? Who's behind it? And, and that's, you see, that's what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about this morning. And what happens in life is that we, we look at stuff. I don't, I, don't know if you can, I don't know if you can identify this with this or not, but you're going through life and you look at this and you say, well, that looks like a dumb rule. And so you just go ahead and do it anyway. And, and then you look back. Anybody here besides me ever look back and said, wow, how could, how could I have thought that that was okay? And it's, kind of, it's called the rearview mirror. It's being able to look at your life through the rearview mirror, and, and, and like it seems okay when you're going through it, but then when you look back, you think, how could I have been so deceived? How could I have been so stupid? Why did I do that? I mean, am I the only one standing up here in my underwear? Or, or you know, anybody else ever had this happen to you? Okay, that's good. Confession is good for the soul. So that's the way it goes. And, and so the point of what Jesus is saying, what he teaches us is, you don't have to wait until you look at stupid in the rearview mirror. You can, you know, call it for what it is as you're going along through life. Now, here, let me just ask this because Jesus is speaking here. How many of you think that, like, Jesus was rigid and, like, made everybody's life miserable just because he could? How many of you think that? Anybody? How many of you think that Jesus was all about, like, you got to get it right, you know, and, and he was the ultimate germ freak and so on, and, and just, like, nobody wanted to be around him because he was so weird? No. In fact, if you were to, you know, talk to the 7.5 billion people in the world and ask them who was the kindest, most thoughtful, generous person who's ever lived, probably half of them at least would say Jesus or somebody who followed him like Mother Teresa. So that's what we know about Jesus. But he says this, he says, don't misunderstand why I came, why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. 
So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, his first comment here kind of addresses kind of a misconception that was going around, going around the crowd that day. And as people were thinking, God, do something, send somebody. I mean, these laws are breaking us. And Jesus said as much. Um, this is kind of the way it looked. And he said, you know, you're breaking people's backs. You're loading them down with a load that they can't carry. And so people were saying, I can't even walk with this. I don't even know what all the rules are. And I'm, I'm dying already. Are you going to do something about this? And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. There are people thinking, oh, shoot, you know. But the other people that were clapping were the people, they were the religious professionals. You know, God's going to say that we're all fine and this is all cool and we're the best models of humanity that are living, that are living today. And yet Jesus says at the end of this, he basically says, you know, he says, you got to do better than the teachers of the law, Okay. Let me tell you, let me read what it says. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth passes away, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that we need to still, because of this, what Jesus said, we need to go offer sacrifices at the temple and we need to, you know, stop eating pork and lobster and, and we need to, you know, obey all the rash, you know, descriptions in the Bible. What do you think? This is the key to what he's saying. Until the purpose is accomplished. Until the purpose is accomplished. And that's how you understand what, what he's saying here. Now, let me just show you. I, I, okay, it's over here. Okay. This is a model. This isn't a model plane. This is a model boat. I've been building these things all my life, and I think you're going to see a set of plans come up here and so on. Now, if I were to open this up, and I'm not going to because there's lots of parts here, it's a, very, it's a, it's a confusing mess of all these different kinds of stuff that's in here. Now, there's a key to it, and the key is, um, you can see up there, it's kind of the plan. And what you do when you're building something like this, you have to lay all the pieces out, you glue them together, and you pin them so that they're exactly the way they ought to be. Now, when you have the finished product, what do you do with the plans? Anybody know? Well, the plans are irrelevant, right? Because you've already built the planes. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've come to accomplish what this was all about. Now, that doesn't mean he's not saying here, well, it wasn't telling the truth and we're going to start all over again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I came to accomplish this. And part of it was already accomplished to the Jewish people. You have to understand, when they came out of Israel, you got two million people at least, and they have no government, they have no structure, they have no health system, they have nothing like that. And so part of what's going on in the law is laying that out for people. And Jesus said, I came to accomplish it. There's a whole sacrifice system for sin. We don't have to go and, you know, kill an animal to be forgiven. Jesus said, I came to forgive that. I came so that you could be forgiven of your sin. I have accomplished that with my life. So that's, that's what it's saying. Jesus' death paid for our sin. And so at the Last Supper, when he's instituting this, he says, this is a brand new covenant. This is a whole new deal. You get forgiven, not because you went and offered the blood of a sacrifice at the temple, but because I've offered the sacrifice for you. And that's what's going on. Now, this section is, is kind of is important and maybe a little confusing. Jesus said that if you ignore the, the littlest commands in this, he says you have no chance of being great in what he's up to. Let me explain it like this, okay? Um, so there's a king in every kingdom, right? 
Just nod your head. There's a king in every kingdom. Uh, in most organizations, there's a boss, there's a CEO. Uh, one of the guys that helped us start uh, the Olive Branch here is actually now the CEO of, um, of Home Hardware. So if you, if you want to be great in home hardware and he gives an instruction out, then you got to listen to what he's saying, right? Because he's the boss. And what this is saying is, you know, like when, when, when uh, all of the things were laid out, it wasn't like God is now saying, whoops, made a mistake, you know, and now we're going to start. No, he's not saying that at all. There are, there are parts of this that have either been fulfilled or will be fulfilled in our lives. So, um, so Jesus fulfilled this. Now, here's the, here's the issue. Who is Jesus? Because he's saying this. Who do you think he is? He says that he's the son of God, right? He says, you know, I am the I am that spoke to Moses in the first place. I'm the prince of peace. So he either is or he isn't. He's either the king in the kingdom or he's not. By the way, that's what the Messiah means or the Christ. He's the king in this kingdom. So to, to do something worthwhile with your life, to do something that pleases God, you have to listen to what he's saying. You can't just pick and choose whatever you want, like you're at a, a smorgasbord, like you're at the Mandarin. You know, I like the crab legs, but I don't like the shrimp salad. It's, that's not the way it works. It's, he's saying, this is all fitting into your life. And it's not because I'm trying to make your life miserable. It's because I'm trying to make your life work. I'm trying to bring happiness to your life. And that makes sense of what Jesus says at the close of this section. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to know what people would have thought if they're, as they're listening to him say that. They say, well, I don't stand a chance. These guys are professionals. Like, they don't even have jobs. This is their job, just being good and doing this. But Jesus says it's got to be better than that. Now, let me use an illustration that you can probably get uh, with this. Uh, how many of you have ever played golf? Anybody? How many of you are really good golfers? Okay. Any? Come on. You don't have to be modest if you're really good. There we go. Okay. You got a good golfer back there. So um, last time I played golf, probably about 12 years ago, uh, I, I've since given my golf um, clubs away, and I'll tell you why. So I came home from the golf game, and I told, I told Lori, I said, you know, I got the highest score of anybody today by far. She says, wow. She says, that's great. I said, no, 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 no. It's about getting the lowest score, you know. So you get 18 holes of golf, and, uh, and par is about 72, a game, which means about four strokes per hole, okay. Now, pros can play a game, and I was looking at the averages, and the averages are between 66 and 68. So that's, you're really good at it. Jesus is saying, if you think you're going to get into heaven by your good works, it's not like you get a 66, because I don't grade on a curve. It's got to be an 18. Anybody ever heard of anybody besides you know, playing miniature golf who got an 18? It's impossible. You know, so Jesus, when he launches into this, he says, you know, you've heard it said. You've heard it said. Averages, you don't kill anybody. That's a good thing to not kill anybody in life. Pro is, you know, well, you don't get angry and, and tear people apart with your words. What I'm asking for is that you stop at, at the anger point and you get it out of your heart before you kill somebody else with it. He talks about, you know, he says, so, you know, par is that you don't sleep with somebody else's wife. Pro is 
You don't have sex with anybody before marriage, and you don't have sex with somebody else after marriage besides your spouse. But I say lust is what contaminates your heart. When you sit out there and you're imagining things and playing all the films in your mind. That's what he's saying. It has to be different than just, you know, well, I'm average. I'm better than most. Now, he's not saying this to frustrate people, you know, and make you feel bad about yourself. He's just saying that this is why I had to come and give my life so that you could be saved and place my perfect score of 18 over your, my last score, I don't know, 158, whatever it was, you know. Because we need him. See, the two messages that he gave, we talked a little bit about this, this, past, uh, this past week. And the first message is, it's worse than you think. Like, way worse than you think. And that's why the religious people hated him. He says, you're hopelessly lost. And then the second message was, God sent me to find you. Because he loves you. Amazing message, right? And people flocked around him. They loved, they loved to hear him. Now, here, you know, here's our thought when we do stuff that we know is wrong. He said, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that that's what he says. But, you know, I am going to be the exception to the rule. This may create problems for other people, but not for me. I don't know if you remember when we did a series on, uh, on Proverbs. And we did this thing that's called, Behold, I have played the fool. Anybody remember that? So just do it with me, okay? It's be, come on, let's do the hand motions here, okay? Behold, I have played the fool. Okay, good. Glad you got it. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, Behold, I have played the fool. And that's why Jesus is speaking to us. He said, this is stuff. He says, I will work in your heart. I will help you. I will give you power. And so what he did, he went to the cross for us. And then he sent his spirit to give us the actual, the will, the will to do it. And then also the power to live differently. He came not just to forgive us for our sins, because you see what happens is he forgives my sins. So I sin and I forgive my sins. Then I sin and he forgives my sin. Then I sin and he forgives my sins. Then I sin, you know, kind of like Groundhog Day. No, I, want, I came to save you from your sin. I came to get you out of the cycle of doing the same stupid things over and over again so that you can live. That's good news. Now, okay. Okay. If you want to be great, great has to do with respecting what he has to say. You can't respect Jesus and just flip him off. Say, well, I don't feel like doing this today. I don't think you were right. Dumb, you know, dumb rule. That's not respect. You can't be great and show disrespect. Now, I want to tell you something that you probably know but may not have thought about it like this. So I know, bad drawing, okay? Let's talk about the heart for just a minute, okay? Now, the Bible gives the heart mixed reviews, okay? Um, we've talked about this a little bit. But Jeremiah in 17.9, he basically says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can possibly understand it? Jesus said that it's out of the heart that, you know, good things come and bad things come. So kind of mixed reviews on this. So the problem with us, I'm not, in our culture, you hear people say, well, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Well, that's the problem if your heart isn't running on good stuff. 
if you're getting deceived. Because I want to tell you what I want to tell you what happens. You see, your heart runs the show. Did you know that? Your heart is where is is kind of the decision maker in your life, and it's and it includes emotions and includes lots of different things. But your heart is what runs the show. Your heart is what runs what your eyes look at. Your heart is what runs what your fingers touch. And I want to tell you how it goes. Uh, it's the heart that gives the orders. And it's the brain that says, yes, sir. Okay, so your heart says, this is what I want you to do. This is what, you know, you need to do. Wouldn't this be cool? And so on. And then the brain actually figures out how to make it happen and sends the orders to your hands and your feet and all the other places. So here's what we think in our culture. IQ means I'm a wise person. I've I've got 140 IQ. I'm, I'm smarter than most people. I want you to think about Woody Allen. Um, anybody remember Woody Allen? Great filmmaker and so on, and, and still probably still making films and so on. Anybody know what pretty much took him down in terms of the estimation of most of the world? He married his adopted daughter. He had sex with his adopted daughter, and then he married her. Now, do you think that in his mind he thought, this is really a smart idea. I think I'm going to do this. This will, this will just, you know, make my life and make me, you know, like everybody's, you know, idle. Think about Harvey Weinstein and what went on there. How many of you think that he thought in his mind, you know, if I rape women, you know, that's going to that's gonna actually satisfy me and it's going gonna, it's gonna to achieve all the greatness that I want for my life. What do you think? You're being tried right now, right? Bill Cosby, I always loved Bill Cosby. I loved this stuff, you know, when it actually, when it came out on an LP, if you can imagine that, long time ago. He's a smart guy. He has his doctorate. How many of you think that he thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to drug women and have sex with them. I think it will turn out okay. The heart. You know what Woody Allen said about this? You know what his excuse was for him doing the stuff he did? The heart wants what the heart wants. What a dumb rule. But I'm telling you, that's where you'll go. And your brain will follow along. You think about Eve, okay? And the, when the whole thing started and so on. So, you know, God says, you know, I'm gonna all the all the fruit trees, man, make the biggest fruit salad on the planet. You guys can eat everything that's in this garden, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat from. Now, you just imagine, you know, Satan coming up to her in the garden and saying, Eve, you look great today, you know? like your shoes, nice shoes, you know. What's this about the fruit tree thing? I mean, really, you know, let's talk about that. And eventually Eve says, yeah, dumb rule. And and what she wasn't thinking was that it wasn't what, it was about who. It was who she was defying, the one who made her. The one who gave her everything that she had. And you see, the heart is where the rebellion starts. The heart is where everything says, you know, basically, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what God says. I am going to do what I want to do. And God says, well, I've given you, you know, free reign in your life. You can do that if you want to. What happens? We get to this thing in our lives. And this is the question you have to ask. Who edits? 
Like who, who is it that, you know, cuts the pages out of the Bible and says, I don't agree with that. That's a dumb rule, you know, you know, and cuts it out. Who edits? Have we been given the right to edit? Or is God the one who edits our lives and says, you don't want to go there. You don't want to do that because it's going to bring you way more sorrow and unhappiness than you can even possibly imagine. Now, the problem is that we many times can't see things from the outside. Um, question. How many of you know... How many of you are organic? How many of you eat organic stuff? Anybody? Like, go organic? Okay. How many of you can tell which the organic bananas are? Which one of these is organic? Anybody tell? Which one? You can't tell. Because <laughs> they're just bananas. I mean, yeah, you look at their stuff you can look at, and you can, you can figure it out. But they look like bananas, right? The only way you can tell is by the labels. Um, how many of you know... What kind of soup this is? Imagine having your whole pantry filled with cans like this, and you say, I'm going to eat something good tonight, okay? Anybody know what, what makes this work? You need these. They're called labels, okay? And what God says, is, if we will listen, is, you know, I've created labels not because I'm a, I'm a neat freak. I want to help you to make the decisions. I want to tell you what stuff is going to poison you and bring unhappiness to your life and bring unhappiness to other people and break your relational world. Will you listen to me or not? And we have the capacity, if we want, to say, dumb rule. I don't agree with it. And Jesus said you have to choose a path. And he's talking about the labels because he's labeled two paths here. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. How many of you think that God has created this gate and this path and stuff, you know, because he wants to deceive people? Go ahead, take the highway. <laughs> you know, it's 407. Well, you know why they keep putting lanes on the 407? It's because there's so many people that travel it. That's why it's the broad path. Everybody's taking it because it seems like the smart thing to do. But he said, what you, will, what you will notice if you watch this is that they're, you know, people are going the wrong way. And it doesn't end where they think it's going to. And he goes on to say, but the small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's why it's narrow. It's because, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to go my own way. This path that Jesus describes it does feel a little uncomfortable sometimes, doesn't it? Let me describe the path for you, okay? How many of you have a physician, ever had a physician who's told you to do something that you didn't feel like doing? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> like a colonoscopy or something like that, okay? So, so, you know, like it's interesting, you know, our doctors can insult us and they can tell us to do uncomfortable things and we do them. Anybody know why? You say, you know, Ken, you're fat. Like you see this blubber shaking around there, you know, you, you, you got to lose some weight. You know, you're going to die of a heart attack, you know, or you need to stop eating so much salt. I mean, they, they can insult us and we take it because we know that they care about us, right? Uh, how many of you have a physical trainer? Anybody have a physical trainer? Okay. So your trainer, you don't want to raise your hand because you're afraid people will look at your body and say, you don't look like you have a physical trainer. <laughs> but they tell you to do stuff, you know, you need to eat this kind of stuff. Well, I don't like that kind of stuff. Too bad. Eat it anyways, you know. And they'll tell you to exercise. And you go out and you'll exercise and exercise and sweat, you know, and smell the place up. And, and, but they, you do it because 
you know that they're trying to help you do what you want to do, which is be in shape. And yet many times, Son of God, Savior, Prince of Peace, I am, says, you need to do this because it's not only going to benefit you in this life when you reach the end of this life and help you to be the person that you wish that you could become. This goes further than that. This goes into eternity. Will you do it? Not a dumb rule. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's restricting. You, you understand what I'm trying to get at here? And here's the deal. This may surprise you, okay? It's, it's kind of like, you know, um, you, you ever heard, you know, it's kind of like, this is the path I'm taking, God. Would you bless the path I'm taking? And that's a little bit like jumping off of a building and saying, oh, God, help me fly. Probably not going to happen. You can defy Jesus and you can find pleasure. People who are addicted to drugs do that all the time. They do it every day. But you can't define Jesus and find happiness. Remember what he said? There's a path to happiness. And part of that path to happiness is having this hunger inside to do what's right and what honors God. Now, this is something I think may help you, okay? You're familiar with the whole cumulative thing, right? Like if you, you know, invest $10, like this will shock you. If you invest uh, $10 every week, you're 20 years old, and you invest $10 every week until the age you're 70, you know what you'll grow? This is like at a minuscule interest rate. This is like, you know, 3% interest. You'll have $122,000. How many of you can afford you know, 10 bucks a week. How many of you think you can? Most of us can, right? So why don't we do it? Well, it's kind of like, well, I, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to go to Timmy's, you know, and get a donut and a coffee and stuff, but we, we, just, we just don't think about it. We underestimate the power of the cumulative effect of putting money away. We do the same thing with our health. If you, you know, like I exercise, I don't know, 20 minutes a day, something like that. I, I know you can tell, right? But, you know, I actually learned this, you know, by looking at my parents because, I, you know, you know what the culture was like back then, you know. Why would you, why would you walk when you can ride in a car, you know? It's, it's like no such thing as exercise. And, and I watched them pay. It's not like, you know, you can't walk when you're 80 years old. It's like I don't want to crawl across the finish line because I know that it destroys your body. The, the neglect creates a lot of damage, whether it's finances or whether it's taking care of your body. Now, here's what I know. You're wondering where I'm going with this, right? You will not live enough years to try every detour. God is giving you the freedom. You can, you can make your choices and stuff like this, but I'm telling you, you go down this detour, and you're on this detour for five years, and think, uh-uh, wrong road, going the wrong way. Well, then you have to go back, and you have to get on the right road again. You say, well, this looks like a cool detour. I think I'll try this one. And so you get down that detour. Whoops, wrong. And you will not have a life. You see, here's the deal, you know. This is the way it works, okay? Research says, ding! Your days are numbered. You will not have enough life to try every detour. You won't. Especially if you want to have some kind of a cumulative effect of your life and of what God wants to do through your life. So you got a choice. You can sing along with Frank Sinatra, 
I did it my way. And then you cross the line, and when you cross the line, it's like, so what? So you took a bunch of bad paths, and you did it your way. So what? Like, like what's the point? The other song is, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Paul wrote these words, and I'm just going to read them for you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, because the days are deceptive, because you will get fooled into thinking that you're on the right path when you're on the wrong path, because you will burn down through your life and you will miss the point of your life. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Let's pray.